0: You're listening to an all-new Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Sandy, thanks for joining me at the microphone for our next Chasing the Word on Psalm 18.
1: Yes, we are approaching the end of it quickly.
0: I think this is the end of it for us. Many churches still use the Psalms or derivatives of them as part of their normal worship. And David's really been pounding hard on the Lord's door here, looking for deliverance, looking for a way out, a way forward. And that's what I like about him is that he's persistent.
1: Yeah. I think we talked about this once before, but David tends to end his psalms with praise to God and just reminding those who are listening and reminding God, if you can remind God, how great and awesome he is in praising him. And I think that's a good lesson for us to take to heart.
0: Does God need to know how great he is? Probably not. He already knows. Yeah. But the point of acknowledging God is for our soul's benefit. Mm -hmm. If we acknowledge something that is true and we confess it, then we are on the side of truth. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about God, we are saying he is ultimate truth. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to attest to his goodness and actually say it with our own lips, it's a confessional. That's a good exercise for those who claim to be followers of the way, Mm -hmm. to confess the things which they know to be true and the one they know to be true.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, honey. I think that when we identify things in our lives that are not truths and call them out, basically name them, then sometimes they don't seem so big anymore. And we can replace that with what the truth of the word of God says to us.
0: We can also count on the promise that if we can identify a falsehood, we also are confessing that there must be a truth. A
1: truth, yeah.
0: That should give us hope that even if we are in a place where a lot of lies fly around, that there is a truth out there that's worth pursuing and it can be found. Mm -hmm. And here we have David ending up his psalm, assuming that the truth and the hope and the help can be found and praising God that it has come his way. So let's read that last two or three stanzas in the Psalm 18. All
1: right. We're going to start at verse 43 and go through verse 50 in Psalm 18. You have freed me from the feuds among the people. You have appointed me the head of nations, a people I had not known serve me. Foreigners submit to me grudgingly. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling from their fortifications. The Lord lives. May my rock be praised. The God of my salvation is exalted. God, he gives me vengeance and subdues peoples under me. He frees me from my enemies. You exalt me above my adversaries. You rescue me from violent men. Therefore, I will praise you, Yahweh, among the nations. I will sing about your name. He gives great victories to his king. He shows loyalty to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Hmm.
0: That's why I'm doing these things, says David, to end the psalm. He's gone through a whole lot of trauma early on, saying, the world is tough, and I've been put up as your example, and I'm about ready to fall. You better come through, because it's your reputation on the line more than mine. That's the dare that David gives God. Hmm. And he ends the psalm, Not demanding or accusing God of anything, but celebrating that he received his answer. Some of us kind of assumed. He just presumes that God will, in fact, answer, even if the full answer is not present yet. Right. He speaks as though the thing he sees in his heart, the thing he's hoping for, is real. And therefore, God, being a real God, is able to deliver real blessings to those who really worship him.
1: One of the things that we talked about before that we both love about David is that he takes God at his word. Mm. I mean, God said, David, you are my anointed. And Samuel comes and anoints him and says he's going to be king. And then all of this stuff happens with King Saul and the battles and the struggles. And then Absalom, his own son, rises up against him. And I mean, he goes through a lot throughout the course of his life. But David never doubts God's word to him, never doubts that God made a covenant with him to be his king and for the savior of the world to be within his line. So David is talking to God. Like, he knows that God's going to come through because God has been coming through.
0: He is presuming God's nature. Yeah. Which is good. And how do you know what's good? Because God reveals it to him. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is obviously a kind of circular reasoning problem we have here. We can't get behind God's motivations and understand where he started with something when he's eternal. So for us, it's always going to seem like circular reasoning. God always was, therefore he is, therefore he always will be, therefore he was. Right. And of course it cycles back around, but it's only because we don't live on that plane. Mm -hmm. It's not that God is inaccessible. It's that he's not comprehensible. In other words, you can't get a comprehensive view of God. Ever. Even in eternity. I don't think it's even going to be reasonable to say we could even begin to see the contours of how great our God is. Mm. And yet, we can know him. I think about people giving testimony about something that happened. You can often tell someone's gossiping or lying about somebody else by the things they quote them for saying. If someone that you know and you love and you respect is being maligned by somebody who's saying, well, so-and-so says this— And it's like, that doesn't ring true with me. I've never, ever known this person to act or speak in that way. Right, And even if those specific words somehow came out of their mouths, there's got to be a context here because that's not the kind of person I know. Mm. And our minds resonate with the person we know. The person behind the words, the real person, is the one that we really would be willing to defend and stand up for. Mm. And when people end up misquoting God or misconstruing him or assaulting a scarecrow of what God is. And we look at it and say, wait a minute, that's not the God I know. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, should we rise up to defend the God they're attacking? I would say no, Mm. because what they're attacking isn't real anyway. There are many people that will take up an offense for somebody else, even for God, out of fear, like, you know, if I don't stand up for God now, he'll never be welcome back in this place, or he'll never be able to be spoken of in the school again, or in the city, or in this library. Therefore, I've got to make a stand now, even when the things that are being spoken about God are not true. God can take care of himself and defend himself against right. untruths. But I do think that when we have somebody in front of us that is speaking untruth about God to us, we can call Him on that.
1: Mm. Do you think it's fair to say that we often will give God human attributes that don't really belong to him. Like His feelings are going to be hurt by this, no, I- or he's angry because things are unfair, or he's just. He's kind of persnickety or he's fickle or, you know, I think sometimes we do that with God because this has been my experience, because we expect God to behave like human beings would behave. We expect God not to be consistent or to get tired and cranky and get Mm -hmm. their feelings hurt.
0: Like those Snickers commercials where God suddenly (laughs) stepped out of being angry.
1: Right. But I, I think we do that sometimes because we have given God this persona in a way that if he's tired, he's not going to show up for me. Or if he's busy, he's not going to show up You're talking about
0: limitations more than his actual nature.
1: Well, absolutely. These are not God's nature. But I think that maybe as human beings, we tend to keep those things on him. We project things. We project them. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good word. If
0: we are projecting upon God something that we know to be a vice in us, but we want to justify ourselves, of course, we're going to make God Mm -hmm. just like us. Because if there is any condemnation in us... You know, it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I do believe it has a two-tiered meaning. One is, we don't have to fear eternal punishment from a God who already has declared his ownership of us as a father. He's not going to be the kind of God that's capricious and just decides to change his mind and wipe us out. At the same time... He is, in fact, able to respond to our situations, but he's not malleable. He doesn't change like we change or weaken like we weaken. Mm -hmm. So we can't shove him into our own mold to justify the way we're feeling. All we can do is be honest and say, I don't know what God expects of me in the situation or how he's going to show up. I just know that God is. Mm -hmm. And that is an honest statement even if it's of ignorance, but it's the right kind of ignorance. Because I don't know all that God is capable of. I can imagine some things, and I'm sure it's going to be more than I can imagine. And well, that humble. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that That is humility, true, mm-hmm. to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the most humble people are some of the most knowledgeable. Yeah. Especially those who are in, like, really out there sciences and arts and things, that when they've approached greatness in what they do, and the, the depth of knowledge that most people in the world don't have, and they touch what they would say the void. I've reached a point where I have no idea. Yeah, I don't and know what's next. Whatever's out there is beyond me. Right. Where is this going to lead? Where's my science or my, my art or my literature lead me? I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes can be devastating to those who expect certainty at the end of a long road. The only thing we have certain at the end of a long road is a who, not a what. And like the story of the prodigal son, the only thing he had certain was his desire that he would be forgiven. Mm-hmm. And so he pursued it. And he imagined a case scenario that at least I could be like a hired man. At least yeah. I could do this because they live great lives yeah. compared to what I'm in now. Yeah.
1: I so, think that's a great analogy, though, babe, yeah. because that's kind of what we go through when we are at the wrong end of something or if, if we are separated for whatever reason from our relationship with God, if we have removed ourselves mm-hmm. from that place. And woken up. And, and then yeah. come to realize, wow, I'm not in a good place I need to get back to my relationship, or I need to get back to God in this sense, or to my father, as as the prodigal son did. Um, I believe, and I, I think I've experienced this in my own life, and I know yeah. others who have experienced this, almost expect God to be upset with them or yeah. angry with them or judgmental of them. And we don't see that in the prodigal son's story. We We don't see that with the father. We see the father running to him to meet him Mm -hmm. and maybe that's why jesus told that story so we could see that's how our father is
0: compassion radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the word inspiring stories from the front lines of faith and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world are you willing to help get out god's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century oh i hope so We have a very special giving opportunity to the church in Ukraine. And I beg of you, send your best gift today to support the Christian family there. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, PO Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion.
1: That's the way our Father receives us every single time. And we see that we can mess up big time and still come to our Father, and He runs to meet us. He's watching for us.
0: I would say it's like a constant state question. It's not, if I do someday do this horrible thing, Mm -hmm. and I'm shamed by that, and don't know if I'll have welcome. If I go and test this notion, maybe God will come to me. This is this constant state of being. Right. And this is our constant state of need. So I'm not saying that in talking about sin, that woe is unto me and everything is crushingly ugly about me. I have no redeeming virtue in me at all that God would want to love me without him being completely over me. Mm-hmm. So I have to completely disappear so that he shows up so that I can be acceptable. There is a weird extreme in theology about that. Right. We're lovable to God because he chose to love us, because he chose to make us. And you didn't choose where you were born and to whom. I didn't either. We were born to this generation and God gave us to each other in this generation. We didn't have any say about the chances of us actually meeting in the time that we did. Mm -hmm. He made that happen throughout history. And here you and I are in ministry and in family. And leading the way for our kids to pick up the torch and go on from there. And they will have a certain set of opportunities, too, that God provides them. But he made them because he wanted them. I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty simple logic for us. I don't know the mechanics of all that. Right. But it seems like he set the entire universe in motion so that you and I could be sitting here talking <laughs> about it. And that's the anthropic principle they talk about. Why do we think the world should be able to host life? Because it does. We're here. So that's the only lens we've got is that we exist. Yeah. When we talk about God, as you mentioned earlier, being like us, yeah, he came to be like us. We know that's really the story of Jesus. Mm -hmm. All that is God became flesh. We don't say that he was made or was created. We say that Jesus Christ took on the flesh and that therefore Jesus the Christ, the person we know by that name on this planet, is more than just a person who came into existence like you and I do at birth or at conception, He came long before that, before there was anything, he was, Mm -hmm. and he is. And therefore, he chose, by the will of he and the Father and the Holy Spirit, to be present with all mankind through all times. And that's the weird mystery to me, is how can he be present with those who were born thousands of years before him? I don't know. No (laughs) one's got a good theology for that one. Right. But we do know that God has to be the same for every human being, or he's not the same for anybody. Mm, And so if he's going to be, he's got to be the one to figure out the math on that one, because I cannot. But I am responsible for what I know and the time that I'm in. So... Will I choose to follow him? Will I choose to believe that he's good? Mm. Will I choose to believe that he's a giver of good gifts? Mm. Will I choose to believe, like David does, that his nature is always for me Mm. and his will is to see me become like him?
1: That's what we see in this psalm. I mean, we've gone way off the Mm. the rails here with this.
0: I'm not sure it's rails. We're worried about jumping off this cliff, definitely.
1: (laughs) Coming back to what David is doing here in this psalm, he is appealing to the very nature of God that he knows to be true. Right. Knowing that when I cried out to God, like we read at the very beginning of Psalm 18, when I cried out to him in his temple, he heard me. He listened and he heard me and he came to me and he rescued me. It is a lovely picture or a terrifying picture, whichever Mm -hmm. end of it you're on, of God moving heaven and earth to rescue him, to save him from the enemy. Sometimes the enemy is not an external Mm. enemy. It's an enemy from within that we have created in our own minds. We can build these enemies up inside of ourselves, inside of our own minds so huge that we then project those onto God and assume that God is going to be like this enemy that we've created in our mind. But David is saying, no, that is not the nature of God. You call out to him when the enemy is attacking and he comes for the rescue. For
0: the rest of our ministry and lives, we're going to be circling back around to that key pivotal tentpole question that has reformed us in the way we think about how to approach a problem. That is simply, what does God want us to know about this? Mm -hmm. We were mentored well in that by people who are very much into transformational prayer, and they led us well in that discipline. And it's just a discipline we're beginning to really learn in our lives. But David seemed to have a refrain in his writing, his music, which is, if not but for God, I would be lost. But, oh, God is so awesome and magnificent. He showed up. Yeah. Praise be to God. That seems to be the refrain that happens constantly in his music and art. And I want that, what does God want me to know about this to be my refrain? Not because I want to just be a knowledge person, like I have this idea and I can write wonderful poetry or something about it, but so I can do something with it. (laughs) If in this situation, we don't know how God is going to show up, but we know that he says he wants to, and he wants us to see him show up, then we need to ask him, how? What is it you want to do now that I should be aware of? And if there are things I don't need to be aware of, God, keep them to your own counsel, because I don't want to know the things I should not know that would lead me astray or confuse me. I do want to know what I need to know to be clear on things I need to be clear about. Yeah. And leave the mysteries to you so I can worship those as well. I don't need to know every reason that God has something going on in my life or what he's doing in my life for every little thing. It may scare the fat out of me if I did know. Mm-hmm. But like a child who's four years old and asking why constantly, because they want to really know, like all of our kids did, and probably every child on the planet does this, there is an innocence in that. And there's a trust that the ones that lead us, the ones that guide us, will tell us the truth. Mm -hmm. Because we wouldn't ask why if we expected a lie every single time. We would ask why if we expect an answer. When do we stop asking those questions because we really don't feel like God's going to answer us? Mm -hmm. When have we bought into a lie that God doesn't care about what we're asking or think? Wow. Where do we lose it where we think that our prayers don't mean anything? And what lie did we follow to get to that place? I don't want to be stuck in that and praying the wrong prayers that are not about the true God Mm -hmm. and about some false God, the one that I've made up, the one that hides behind my failures. I want to know the God that says, ask me anything. And if you're lacking wisdom, just ask for it. But I don't want to ask him to answer me the way I want him to answer me. I want him to answer me the way he intends to answer me. Because the only way I'm going to have a way out or way through anything is if I know what God really thinks and desires and is capable of and wants to do in me and through me. Mm. I want to pray the kind of prayers that God wants to answer. Yeah. That's my heart. I think David does, too, in this psalm.
1: Yeah, I do, too. I think that he gives us a good template to follow in, in many of the psalms that he's written. Yeah of how to approach God and how to be honest with God, the raw emotion that he expresses so often in the Psalms that he's written, then to turn the corner and say, nonetheless, I'm going to praise you, Yahweh. I'm going to get on my knees and my face before you and praise you. You are the rock. You are the God of my salvation. You're the one who takes vengeance against the enemy. I don't need to. You can do that. And I think that's something that we need to take to heart as Mm -hmm. believers in Jesus, that we are not the ones that really need to take the vengeance Mm. for the enemies. And oftentimes we really can't, especially if it's an internal enemy. We can't really take vengeance on that.
0: And God makes a point of saying, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's
1: true. There's
0: nobody in history that's going to be truly good enough to make sure that their sense of vengeance will always be pure, Mm. that the ends justify the means Literally, yeah, and we just can't because there's so much that's stirred up in our hearts, and so much that we can misunderstand or misinterpret. Mm-hmm. But God does not. Yeah, it should also remind us that it does not mean as well that God is vengeance-minded. Right. When God says vengeance is mine, He's not saying I'm going to venge upon people. He just says that I reserve the right. You don't need to. Yeah. And if something needs to be put down because it's attacking you or attacking me, I'll deal with it if I choose to. Mm-hmm. But God's discretion is still there. Mm-hmm. And he is not the God that, as we discovered in Jesus, that is vengeance minded. Right. He doesn't strike out. He doesn't obliterate. He doesn't squish us like little bugs on the sidewalk when he's mm-hmm. angry with us. There's a couple of interesting little stories along his life about how he got mad at a fig tree because it didn't have any fruit on it mm-hmm. and it withered. And people still to this day wonder, what's really going on with that story? <laughs> but it's interesting to me that because it's a mystery even today to us about all the different things it could mean, mm-hmm. that people that were with him actually included that in the narrative saying, this really happened. We don't really get it all, yeah. but it's worth <laughs> noting that Jesus did something that seemed miraculous because how do you just tell a plant to die and it do it? Is that really a miracle or is it destructive? I don't know. But there's something about Jesus. There's a mystery there that's worth, I think, pursuing. And there are all kinds of things that happen in their lives where it seems like God is destroying Mm -hmm. things or allowing things to be destroyed. And we don't know why. Sometimes we feel like that fig tree. Why is it coming out on me? Why does it seem like God, as you said before, is angry with me? Why does it seem like God is against me? Well, we come back around to those questions again of, What's God's nature like? What do you really want me to know, God, about what's going on? Mm -hmm. What falsehood do I need to be stripped of so I can start to see you again for who you are? The God that I've been told all along loves me, that I've believed until this time is for me and not against me. The God that I can't seem to reconcile right now, but I have hope like David had hope That when I understand it, it will not just make sense, but it will be a extreme relief to know that God was who he said he was.
1: Well, and David gives God that freedom in some ways. I mean, Mm -hmm. if we can do that, he allows for God's discretion, as you put it earlier, in freeing him from his enemies. Yeah, I don't know how God's going to do that. I don't know how God's going to show up, but he's freed me from my enemies. He's freed me from the feuds among the people. He's freed me from my enemies. He's raised me above my adversaries. He's rescued me from violent people. I mean, yeah. David says these things. In literal ways. In yes. literal ways, yeah. And we don't know exactly from this psalm what happened. If we go back to reading first and second Samuel, we will see more of the truth in that. Right. But at the same time, he's not expecting God to behave in a certain way right. or in a precise way. But just as God does behave. Show up the way you do, basically. Show me the house. Yeah.
0: I'll see the what's at the end of it. But if I know who you are and how you go about your things, what your ethics are, Mm -hmm. if I understand those basic contours, I might have a pretty good idea about what's coming next. I may be surprised. But nonetheless, I'll know that whatever I see will actually be you and it'll be good. Not some falsehood I've created.
1: Isn't that such a great relief? It should be. There's such freedom in that, (laughs) though. I'm just kind of coming to this epiphany right now, even. Somehow there is such freedom in not having to respond Mm. to every little thing that irritates me or that feels like an attack. It frees us from feuds among the people, as verse Mm. 43 says. I mean, it just, it frees us from that. And we don't have to engage in that. If we see Injustice that we want to engage in
0: And we feel like we should because And the we Spirit's feel like we should us, yeah. That
1: is our prerogative in the spirit Yeah, to listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do But we're not
0: responsible to die on every hill
1: No, we're yeah. not It's more about responding to injustice against mm-hmm. others than even to injustice against ourselves. I remember one time years ago, you were on church staff, and there was a lot of um, stuff being churned up. People were saying things that didn't really know you. Um, They were new in the church when we merged with another church body. And I wanted to defend you so bad. I just wanted to go tell those people, you don't know him. That's my husband. And you're saying things that you shouldn't be saying because you have no clue. And you said no. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make a stink about this because we know the truth. There are people that we care for that care for us that know the truth. And God's going to reveal what he wants to reveal in this. And that was early in our marriage. And I remember thinking, well, he's just rolling over on this. That makes me so mad. He should stand up for himself. Then the spirit began to really turn up in me and say, no, Sandy, that's not your place. Your place is not to jump on this bandwagon of fighting against these people who really don't understand what's happening or don't know anything about you or Bram. That's really hard Mm -hmm. to do. I don't like that position. I like to put them in their place, basically. Again, reading through this psalm, especially, and, and others, God is fighting for us. God is doing battle where we cannot do battle, where we have no power to subdue this enemy. Or where we have very little power, God is showing up for us. That is the message that I think I would like to highlight about Psalm 18. God is showing up for us in places that we don't have the strength to or the power to.
0: Yeah, that's about where we have to end up on this last page on this subject. And it's nice to be able to end the program with an encouraging word from my wife about me. That feels good, but it does for me, honey, mostly it's remind me that God's been at work in you and I since the beginning, dealing with the things that we wouldn't maybe even understand about ourselves or about each other until many more years in the future. Mm-hmm. But knowing and believing then that God had our best at heart, even if we didn't get it, even if it was a struggle for us. We're seeing some of the fruit of that, you know, 30, 40 years later. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And I think we can all have an expectation that good things will be revealed in their time. While we're going along the way, that we'd ask God to bring some joys along the way so we don't get crushed by the circumstances around us. But even if it seems impossible, we still ask you, Lord, let us know what we need to know for today. Mm-hmm. Daily Bread. With that, we'll end this episode of Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word on the end of Psalm 18. We'll have another psalm for you next week when we come back for our next episode. Call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at PO Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.